How's everybody doing today? Beautiful Sunday morning uh, here in Flossmore, Illinois. I'm glad to be here with you today. Like Mandy said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody that might be visiting with us for the first time. So glad to have you here with us. Also welcome to anybody who's listening to us through our website or through our podcast. You're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday mornings, where today is the last day of our 21-day fast. And some of you are excited about that. Others of you are like, we were fasting? When did that start? When did that start? And so for those of you who didn't know, well, we're ending our fast today. In fact, the fast will be over immediately following service today. And some of you knew that, so you got a hoagie sandwich in the car. Some of you got the hot chips in your purse ready, just, you know, as soon as we break today. But that's fine. But what we've tried to establish is just a rhythm of prayer, connecting with God, eliminating some things uh, from our life, particularly those things that compete with God for our attention and affection. And the impulse that we have after a fast is to go rushing back to all of the things that we gave up and we gain all the weight back, you know, that we lost and we, pro, you know, put the games back on our phone. And in a week, we're just as congested and as distracted as we were 21 days ago. So the goal is to try to maintain some of the gains uh, and maybe allow the Lord to speak to you about what to uh, keep out of your life. And so that's kind of one of the goals of this fast. But it is uh, over at the conclusion of a service today, so don't, don't hurt yourself, okay? Um, but I just do want to mention before I continue that if you've been watching any news or inter- interacting through social media, you know that there's a lot going on in our country. Um, two high, at least two uh, new high-profile shootings that involved uh, the killings of African-American men at the hands of police officers. And you've, you've seen the last couple of days riots and protests, particularly in North Carolina. And again, what, what secular people do, what people who aren't connected with Jesus do, uh, what they do at times like this, they panic, they fear, they get on some, you know, one side or the other, and they rally and they rant. But the people of God, what we do, we're driven to our knees at times like this. And we're driven closer together, particularly in a church, a multi-ethnic church, multicultural church, multi-generational church. What this should do is drive us together to have conversations. What it should do is drive us to the prayer meetings to pray for uh, these events and the aftermath of these events. And so I always want to take some time whenever these things are uh, present before us to, one, acknowledge them because they're important. They're certainly important to my life as a as a young African-American male. Uh, But it's important to us as people who have willfully decided to do life together rather than to do life separately. And so we won't allow the enemy to use this as a tool to divide us. We won't act a fool on social media and say regrettable things. Uh, We will ask questions. We will lean into each other in conversation and lean into one another uh, in prayer. And so I just want to lead us in just a quick prayer uh, for our nation and for the families of those uh, affected by this on both sides, uh, because lives will never be the same. And I just pray for peace in places where there's unrest. And so, Holy Spirit, would you just come? Uh, Lord, first, would you settle us? Questions that we have, the things that this stuff churns up, Lord, would you settle us? Um, where these events want to move us toward hatred and, and bigotry, to go to our own separate corners, Lord, would you drive us into the arms of our friends, into community, drive us to our knees in prayer? And pray for everybody involved. Humanize everybody involved, Lord. And we sing your peace 
to North Carolina. We see our peace to Tulsa and, and every place else, Lord, where there's unrest and things just sort of cooking. We just send your peace, Lord, and we stand in the gap for this nation. We stand in the gap for those families, Lord, and we ask that your kingdom would come and that you would come, Lord, and do what you do best, and that is make all things new. And so, Lord, we stand here for our friends and our brothers across this country and across this nation. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Well, if you've been tracking with us over the last couple of weeks, you know that we're in a series that we've simply been calling Rhythms. I have a privilege of con- not concluding, but continuing that series today. Um, and we've just been defining rhythm as a strong, regular, repeated pattern of movement or sound. And rhythms are relevant to our life because our life have, you know, we have all these big, important, moving parts of our life. And when life is chaotic, when life is draining and fatiguing, it's usually the case that all those separate parts of our life aren't dancing or rallying around the same rhythm, right? We're, we're, those big parts of our life are rallying around a different beat, and it's fatiguing. There's no functionality to life. But when life works, when we're living the functional, healthy life, all those complicated moving parts of our lives are rallying around the same beat. They have a rhythm to them. And so while life may be challenging, while you have to deal with difficult circumstances, if there's a rhythm to your life, then life just works. It's healthy. It's functional. There's movement and motion to it. And so what we've been saying over the last couple of weeks is what what happens when you invite Jesus into your life is that he comes into the room of your heart. He looks around. He sees the stuff that he wants to move out. He brings his stuff in. And all those important parts of our life, Jesus is the conductor, and he's making all those big you know, complicated, moving parts, dance to the same rhythm, and life works in that moment. There's functionality, there's peace, there's tranquility in those moments. We've been reading the passage of Scripture each week in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus asked the question, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. Jesus says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, Watch how I do it. Learn, Jesus says, the unforced rhythm of grace. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Now, I've said every week now that Jesus isn't promising us an easy life because if you've been saved, you've been a Christian for more than about three days, you know that this life is anything but easy. But Jesus is basically saying, in essence, that maybe our lives are harder than they have to be. Maybe there's a more excellent way to live life. Maybe these rhythms that I'm going to show you, these unforced rhythms might bring a measure of peace, tranquility, functionality to your life that might make all the difference. And so it takes work to pursue and to install these rhythms in your life. This doesn't come naturally. You have to invite this. You have to make space for it. You have to move some things out so that the pieces that God wants in your life can be there and so they can dance around his glorious rhythm. And so for the last couple of weeks, we started this uh, series by talking about engaging a rhythm of Christian community, what we do here on Sunday mornings, what we do in homes all around the south suburbs through small groups, installing a rhythm of community life in your life. We continue by talking about engaging a rhythm of systematic generosity in your life, letting God rewire your guts so that your instincts aren't selfish, but rather they're others-minded so that you part freely 
with the resources that God has given you to steward. And last week, my friend Ben came, and he, he killed it last week. Uh, we talked about praying and, and being in the Word. And so I listened to that sermon. I thought, this is just what we need, a practical sermon, a practical wisdom from a sagely guy on how to just develop a, a rhythm of getting into God's Word and establishing rhythm of devotion and prayer. And so we continue this series today by talking about something equally important as community life, as generosity, as being in the book has been said, and praying. We talk about servanthood this morning. And if, you, if, you hang, if you've hung around here for any length of time, you know that this is something that we talk about regularly because this is just one of the staples of the Christian faith, servanthood. You can't extract being a servant from being a Christian. A servant simply is one who serves, one who attends to the needs of others. A servant is usually bound or obligated to their duties. It's like their job. It's what they do. It's their means of employment. It's wrapped itself around their identity. And a servant is most effective and a servant is most attentive when he or she understands that this is not about me. And this is not about me. And you're probably noticing a common thread. When we make these slideshows every week, we just leave this one in here because no matter what we're talking about, we're going to get around to the fact that this life is not about you. And the sooner that you discover that you were created by God and for God, and as Rick Warren says, until you figure that out, life just won't work for you. Until you figure out that you were created for, to serve someone other than yourself, life won't make sense. You'll constantly be striving and stressing and trying to arrange things in your life to fit you, the light shine on you, things to come in your direction. And for the Christian, it just doesn't come in that color. It doesn't come in that color. Life is not about me. Life is not about you. The servant understands that, and to the degree that they understand that, defines the effectiveness and the attentiveness of their service. There's something about serving others that is absolutely necessary in the life of a Christian. Some of you are stuck, not because you're bad people. Some of you are stuck in life and don't have any functionality. There's no rhythm in your life because there's a missing piece. It's not more money. It's not that beach body that you want. It's not a better spouse or a better behaving spouse. For some of us, what we're missing is this piece of serving others. We've tried to find a trap door to this principle, and, and it, you can't extract this from the Christian curriculum. Servants tend to have the best lives. And to some of us, that doesn't even sound right. When you think of servant, you think of Cinderella, you know, scrubbing for, floors in a tattered garment. Some of us, uh, particularly those of us who are African-American, we, we think of a, uh, this broken and, 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 and terrible heritage of slavery that we have in this country. We think of sort of being choiceless and and having our wills violated. And we don't want anything to do with servitude and service, but in God's economy, in the kingdom, this is who we are. And so my point today is to try to explain this in a way that makes sense, because without this, this Christian life doesn't work. We don't live the good life, a life of loving God, a life of loving others, a life of using your life for what God made you to use your life for, which is where you find that peace, where you find that rhythm, where you find that functionality. So today I want to talk to you today about engaging a life of servanthood. Engaging a life of servanthood.
servanthood, a rhythm of service in your life that is not fake, that's not surface, but this is like God hardwiring you to be a new person, a person that serves. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture to start this morning, Galatians chapter 5. Would you turn there with me in your Bibles? Uh, There are Bibles on the edges of your rows. If you don't have a Bible, um, feel free to follow along in your with your tablet or your phone i won't assume that you're playing games or facebooking while i'm talking uh it's 2016 feel free to use your phones and devices galatians chapter 5 let me pray for our time lord thank you for this opportunity uh to just speak to your people i mean what an honor it is for me to do this Uh, thank you for this growing church there's people who've come not to see me but they've come to hear a word from you to be touched by you lord i pray that something be said today that would challenge us, something be said to encourage us. Lord, I pray that something be said today that would make us uncomfortable. Lord, unsettle us today. Shake your people today so that we might move in your direction. Lord, I pray that you would go before us today and make the crooked places straight. Put power on these words that you've given me to speak. May your truth and your light shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to pick up at verse 13. If you read the first sort of 12 verses, Paul spent some time talking about uh, sort of unhooking from the law and just uh, having freedom in Christ and not being bound by the law and sort of religious ritual and all these sorts of things. And so this is a passage that Paul is talking about freedom, but he takes an interesting turn here as he also starts to talk to us today, uh, as you'll see, about what it means to serve in God's kingdom. Verse 13, for you have been called, he's talking to God's people, you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. That's good news. Fantastic way to start a passage. He continues, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. And so this is not a whole lot of verses here, but there's a whole lot here, particularly as it relates to our subject today. We open this passage, this short passage, and Paul says, you are called to live in freedom. And some of you are like, I can get with that. I like that. Bring me more of that, preacher. Paul says, you are called to live in freedom. Yes, freedom. We're Americans. We like freedom. You're speaking our language now. But he continues by saying, but don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. And so this is kind of restricting and it's kind of confusing because sometimes our freedoms, particularly the way we express them as Americans, gives us sort of license to be selfish. Like, my freedom allows me to make my rules for me, and when I'm making my rules for me, usually things are going to bend in my direction. Usually I can arrange things and sort of rewire things so that the light points to me, so that the cushions fall around me, so that my life is easier and my pockets are fatter and my cupboards are fuller, right? Well, Paul says don't use this freedom to be selfish Satisfying your sinful nature, instead, use your freedom to do what? Serve one another in love. Don't be selfish, Paul says. 
Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Now, when we think about sin, most often we think about these dirty deeds done in the dark, maybe behind a door with a few locks on them. And sin does involve dirty deeds, and we should stay as far away from dirty deeds as possible. But sin, in essence, at its very root, is selfishness. Sin is trying to hardwire your life and the world around you to bend to yourself. Sin is you being the boss. That's where it starts. You don't get into the dastardly, scandalous deeds without, you know, first trying to be the boss of your own life. You don't get there uh, unless you're trying to call your own shots and be your own general. This is the essence of what it means to satisfy your sinful nature. Paul says, instead, use your freedom to serve. Freedom, serve, willful servant. To be a willful servant, a cheerful servant, one who voluntarily serves, Paul says, become a servant. And some of you say, wait a minute. But I thought you said I'm free. Paul says, yeah, use your freedom to become a willful servant. Now, if you read the Bible, especially the New Testament, especially the writings of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, especially the writings, the letters that Paul wrote to the church, you can't get away from this concept of servanthood in the Scripture. There's constantly uh, uh, words like bound, be bound by it. Paul talks a lot about being captives. He often introduces himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. And some of us say, I ain't being nobody's slave. It's 2016. Been there, done that. We're overcoming, haven't quite overcome just yet. That's another sermon. Slavery is not going to be in my vocabulary. Captives, particularly willfully so, we were in a small group this week and we were studying a passage where Paul was talking about being a captive of the Lord Jesus. And one of the sisters says, listen, I have a problem with that word. Can we use another word for captive and slave? No. This is who we are. We're servants. We're bound by this. This is our job. Why? Paul says, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Serve one another. Serve one another willfully. This is what we're supposed to do. This is who we are. This is the marquee that we put on the Christian bus so that anybody who gets on this thing knows that this isn't a life of ascending and becoming important. This isn't a life of crushed velvet chairs and special parking spaces in the church. This is, this is, a, this is asking you to take the low road. This is asking you don't wear your good clothes because you're going to get dirty. Right? T- turn your nose down, you know, descend into servanthood. This is the bus, it's the Christian bus that Jesus doesn't ask us to get on. He commands that we get on. And so I want to talk this morning about three ways to engage a life of servanthood, mainly because for those of us who have committed to a life with Christ, this is, this is who we are. This is what we do. We're bound to it. So three ways to engage a life servanthood, three ways to work servanthood into the rhythm of your life. And after I give you these three ways, we'll discuss some real practical ways to walk that out in your everyday life. So the first way to engage a life of servanthood is simple. 
get low. Get low. I'm not talking about any, you know, rap song, trap song. This is like kingdom 101. You want to serve, you got to get low. You got to get low. Because here's the truth. You won't adequately serve anybody well from on high. You won't adequately serve anybody, God or man, perched up somewhere high. And so Jesus drives this home so many times, not even funny. But I want to look at a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 20. This is familiar to some of you. Um, this passage, this little section opens. I, get, I don't want to read all of it. But the mother of James and John comes to Jesus. You know, kind of how mothers do. Let me go talk to the teacher after school and talk to him about my boy. Maybe we can work something out, right? So James and John, their mother comes to Jesus, probably brought one of his favorite casseroles, you know, fresh out of the oven to have a conversation with Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I know you're a busy guy, but we know you're the real deal. We know you have the power to do this, but if it's not too much trouble, can Jimmy and Johnny, uh, can they be seated on each side of you when your kingdom comes? This is a bold request, but that's not beneath mothers, right? I mean, you want to talk about a bold person? Your mothers can ask them stuff. You're like, did she just ask that? Like the... Left and right, like, I'm sure if anybody's going to be on left and right, there's probably people in, in the head of the line than James and John, right? Mom comes and says, hey, can you, can you work this out that my boys would be? I imagine James and John are like, Mom, come on. Wait, 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 what is, what is he going to say? Is he going to let me do it? No, the disciples get wind of it, and they are just beside themselves, and so they start quarreling. And Jesus says uh, this, verse 25, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, my people, Christians, followers of Jesus, but among you, it will be different. He didn't say, I hope it's different. Would you guys work toward, would you work on that a little bit? He said, among you, if you're going to be with me, uh, it has to be different. He continues, Whoever wants to be a leader, if you want to be somebody, you want to be important, whoever wants to be a leader among you uh, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man, Jesus is talking about himself, Messiah came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as ransom for many. And so Jesus is teaching them a basic, foundational kingdom principle. If you want to be important, don't wear your good clothes. You want to be important, you better be prepared to get low and serve. Talking to his guys, as you disciple and as you go and apostle and as you go and take this word to the nations, no doubt people will want to follow you and no doubt people will want to be your disciples. What do you tell them when they come seeking importance? What, are they, what do you tell them when they come and say, hey, I want to do great things for the kingdom. I want to be like you, Peter. John, I want to be like you. Uh, which assignment, which, which nation are you going to send me to? Which corner of 
this city, are you going to call me to go and preach and heal and minister? and leave? Where, where can I go? I want to do something great. It's instructing them that you don't say, okay, you take that side, you take that side. You say, no, go and get a towel and wipe that table off. Meet me here at 7 a.m. to set up some chairs. They need somebody to help lead the worship in the kids' ministry. We need somebody to come and trim the hedges. You know, I've, I've been doing this for about seven years now, lead pastor of this church. And I used to really be impressed. At, at, at the beginning, as a young pastor, I thought, man, if we could just get some talented people, some talented, confident people, man, we could really make this thing go. We get the best worship leaders, and this thing will go. We get the best preachers, and this thing will go. Some charismatic leaders, this thing will go. But you don't get two, three months into a church plant before you realize all kinds of people come out of the woodwork feeling like, surely I can be a big fish in a small pond over there. Surely they need another bishop to be important. Surely they need somebody of apostolic, you know, uh, you know pedigree like me to go and help this you know, fledgling church get off the ground. And these people always lead with their resume how many crusades they've led and how many Bible studies and they know the Greek and this, that, and the other. Those people never stick around. They never stick around. You know why? Because I just found a little test. I found a test. Great, Bishop. We, we love to have another a bishop around here. Be our first. But here's what you can do, Bishop. Here's what you can do, Apostle. Meet me at Restoration on Saturday. We can talk it over there as we serve the poor. I tell you what, Bishop, we, we, you can get here early on Sunday. We need people to make coffee. I'll get here in the summer, and we have to tear this place down because we have a camp in here. You know what, the bishop, they don't come back. The important people who lead with their resume and who want to be important, they don't come back. You know who sticks? The people who just want more Jesus. They just want more Jesus. They're not looking for a platform. They're not looking for a special seat. They're not looking for a parking space. They just want more Jesus. And you show them the scriptures that Jesus says, hey, if you want to do this, you want to do this right, part of the rhythm of life is that you get low and you serve. They go, okay, I can do that. Where, where, where do you need me? And once you, once you know it, that those people end up being the best small group leaders. They end up being the best worship leaders. Uh, they can be given to almost any task outside of just some of the more special, you know, the specialized talent thing. You know, they can be given to almost any task because they're not seeking importance. And we've learned that nobody gets to go around the metal detector of servanthood. And there's a metal detector that we have to go through to to just test and see if you've got the goods. But, you know, usually talented people, good-looking people, charismatic people, there's a rope on the side where they usually get to go back. You don't get to go, you don't have to go through the servant sieve. Not here. If you can't serve, I can't use you. you. You can't serve if there are things that are beneath you. I, I can't use you. If scrubbing the toilet is beneath you, if setting up chairs is beneath you, maybe the church down the street could use you. But I can't use you here because the way up in the kingdom is down. And so you want to figure out how to install a rhythm, a rhythm of this in your life. You got to get Low. You got to get low. And this is especially true if you happen to have power. Now, if you're of lowly status, you're already low. I'm sure you can get a little lower, right? But what Jesus is talking about is people with authority, people with influence. 
And so we all have influence. But this getting low is especially meaningful if in some realm of your life you're sitting high above people. Especially true if you have power. Let's talk for a minute about social power, privilege. And we don't like to talk about this in the church, but let's talk about it a little bit. If the race that you belong to has been given centuries head start in the race of life, you might consider the fact that there are inherent privileges to that. You shouldn't be ashamed of that. You shouldn't cower at that. But that's the reality that our brothers and sisters who have white skin have some systematic advantages in this country. If you don't believe me, pick up a history book. If you don't believe me, watch the news. And this isn't me getting on some soapbox. This is me just saying that this is one of the realms that God expects those in power to use that power to get low and to help those that are under the boot of life in areas. So if you're white, you have power. If if you're male, you have power. If you have wealth, you have power. And guess what? All of us, since we live in the United States, we have power in the grand scheme of a global economy, right? And so we have power. And so what God expects us to do is use that power in the same way that Jesus used his power. Paul tells us in Philippians that Jesus, being fully God, took off his godness. Godness, it doesn't say godness, I'm just paraphrasing. Put on a cloak of human flesh. Laid aside his power and his freedom to operate as God and took on human flesh. Now, if that's not getting low, because getting low is relative to the heights from which you've descended. And so if God can become man, that's a huge drop. Then those of us who have power, and we all do, we can descend and get down with those who don't have it. You're a leader in the church. You're a boss. And I especially have to live this out because in this church, just young seven year old church, when I stand behind this thing, this is nothing but a music, but when I stand behind this thing, they put a title on my name as pastor, some, some weight comes with that. Some authority and some influence comes with that. And I have to watch what I say. And I have to watch. What I ask of you, because for some of you, it's hard for, me to, for, for you to say no to the pastor, especially if you grew up in a culture where the pastor was maybe assigned a little too much authority and a little too much say over your life. I've got to be sensitive to that, and I've got to get low. I've got to watch how I talk to people. I've got to p- treat people with more respect than they deserve because I am the, I'm the boss. I run the thing over here, and so I, I realize that there's some weight if I criticize somebody, there's, there's heat behind that. That's weight behind that because I'm a leader. You understand what I'm saying? And there's a consciousness that I have to have with this authority and with this leadership because I can go around crushing people like an elephant smashing a mouse. And I heard somebody say once that the elephants don't have to, the elephants don't have to know where the mice are. But the mice, they know where the elephants are. And so you think about that in the scheme of power. And so it takes something special for those of us who follow Jesus and those of us who who seek to live and be servants and get low. When we have power, we have big feet. Our words boom. Our criticisms 
Like they get come in heavier than the average voice. And so we have to be humble and we have to serve and we have to get low. No different for those of you who are managers in the company that you work for, supervisors in your place of work. Hey, surrender some of that power and get low. Maybe your parent. Listen, you, it's your say over your kids. You have power in that exchange. But God expects us to get low. Get low. And not crush them with our words and not crush them with the power that we have to, to get down on their level and try to discern what they understand and what they don't to, to get low. Maybe, uh, you, you know, your nest is empty and you, you, you're a senior and you have, you have grandchildren. You're at that stage where you have grandchildren. Might be hard to get down there. But the Lord expects you to get low. And so the list can go on and on of ways that we have power and the Lord is speaking to us as we have power, as we have leadership, as we have authority and influence, that we have to get low if we want to serve. Get low if we want to serve. Jesus models this perfectly in the Gospels. They're having the Passover meal. Jesus got up from the table, wrapped a towel around his waist, got on his knees, and washed each of his disciples' sandaled feet. Peter protests, but Jesus says, no, this this is how it works, that I, the Messiah, I, Jesus, I get low, and I serve you. The same goes for you. Willfully get low. That's number one. Number two is that you perfect your serve. You perfect your serve. If you want to be a servant, you want to be a willful servant. You want to establish a rhythm of service in your life. You perfect your serve. And we're trying to use this language with our leadership team. How can we perfect our serve as a church? Hospitality, ushers, how can we perfect our serve? Worship team, how can we perfect our serve? What can we tweak in order to be more efficient, to be more welcoming, to be more accessible, to be more friendly, to be more uh, accommodating? How can we tweak what we're doing? Because you know, the, 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 the opposite of greatness is just, that's okay, right? The greatest enemy of greatness is just like, that's, that's okay. That's working. Yeah, people are coming. We, we haven't gotten any, you know, you know, terrible reviews in the comment box. You know, this is just to stay here, right? But to be a servant in God's economy means that you're constantly asking yourself, how can I, how can I get low? You're low, you've gotten low, great. Get a little lower. Perfect your serve. And you can't perfect your serve unless you ask this important question. How am I doing? So part of what we're doing here today is I want you to leave here uh, making some assessments of how you're doing in your life as a servant. How are you doing? And as you ask that question with Jesus on your left or right shoulder, whichever shoulder you prefer him to be on, he, he might whisper to you that, hey, you can do that better. You've gotten a little comfortable living minimums. And in the kingdom, that's not how we work. We don't live the minimum. We aren't satisfied with the minimum because there's always more for us to do. I say over and over and over that if we just sort of float down the lazy river of life, it always floats us, right, down. I don't mean in the good, get low way, right? It floats us away from the ideal 
away from the goal, but in order to, to be hitting on the right cylinders, a way to be pleasing God, we, we have to sin, we have to climb, we have to sort of pedal you know, upstream against just the lazy river of this culture that's going to always move us into a recliner, move us into something cushy, cushioned, move us into something that's, that's easy for us. And so the challenge for us is to perfect our serve. Paul says it clearly in Philippians. He says, I haven't achieved what I need to achieve, and so therefore I what? I press. I press to a place of perfection in Jesus, knowing that I probably never uh, achieve it on this side of heaven, but there's always work to do. And if God's, in God's economy, if you're standing still, if you haven't moved, if all sorts of grass and weeds are growing around you, you're probably not doing life right. God's not pushing you into a, a place where you're perfecting your serve, where you're asking the right questions, and you're making yourself uncomfortable in those realms of life where God has called you to serve. I'll talk about some specific ones in a minute that we're not quite doing what God has called us to do. Your husband, your wife, your parent, your grandparent, your boss, you're in a dating relationship. There's people involved in those stages and realms of life. How might God be calling you to perfect the ways that you're serving? We serve the God of more, and so there's always, always more. Furthermore, with Christ as the example, we've always got work to do, Right? But our tendency is to grab old Bob. Bob's laying in the gutter. He's got stains on his shirt. He's doing nothing with his life. And compared to Bob, you are winning. You are, you are through the roof. But when we look at Jesus, Messiah takes off his godness, puts on a cloak of humanity, gets low and washes his disciples' feet. We go, my goodness, we got work to do. Man, I, I could do more. I could, I can lean in in this particular area. And so I feel like one of the things that God is calling us to do is to perfect our serve. And once you've perfected your serve or moved toward perfection, your serve, I think that God is calling us in some real meaningful way to expand, to expand our serve, to expand our serve. Because you may have found an area of service maybe in your home life, maybe in the church, maybe in your community around you, and you've gotten real good at that thing, and you've perfected that thing, and you even carved out a little groove in your life where that just sort of fits, and you've still got lots of space in the edges of your life for yourself, and God might be saying, in fact, he probably is saying, uh, there's more. There's more realms. There's more areas. And that's what I mean by expand your serve. Expand your serve. And maybe you're, you know, doing fine in one area of your life and say, you, you hear that there's a need in, in children's ministry. You're like, I don't really like kids. <laughs> maybe your nest just got empty and you say, I paid my time, right? But you look at your calendar and you've got time. And if you're honest with yourself, you realize that God has given you a grace. God has gifted you with that look. You know that look. You don't have to say a word to the kids. They don't listen to their mother, but they obey that look. That look just says whatever you need to say. If you need them to sit down, the look says it. And you've got all the tools, but you, you kind of like the edges of your life for yourself. Or maybe you could sing, right? But you don't want to sing here, and you're just like, I, they got, they're doing okay. Maybe the Lord says, no, no, I got something 
that I want you to do there. Maybe you're living in a community. There's a community center, boys and girls club down the street. You just, you know, they need help. You, you drive past the help wanted sign every day, and you just, you've, you've trained your eyes not to look in that direction as you pass, and you feel like, Lord said, you've got time. You've got the light of Jesus Christ. Who better to go and serve those kids? There's more to expand your service. Now be comfortable with where you are, to get lower than you are, and to explore more kingdom opportunities. Here's one. Maybe you're one of the elders around here, one of our seasoned citizens. I'm trying to figure out the right language, and so if I'm not saying it right, a wonderful uh, uh, senior citizens here in our church. Listen, you are a gift to us. When we first started this church, we couldn't pay somebody over 40 to come and, you know, come back. And so the Lord has blessed us with a number of, of elders. We pray, we pray for years. God, send us some elders. Send us some folks who've been around the block. Send us somebody who has sagely wisdom and can pour into us. Um, and so I want to say to our seniors, if I could just pause here, that, listen, I know it costs you something to be in this church. Right? Mostly 30-somethings. Most of us have you know, young kids running around. You know, I, I have a lot of young kids running around. A lot of my illustrations, you know, I talk about my kids. And th- there's some ways, that, some itches that you have that you don't get scratched in this community. It costs you something to be here. And I just want to say thank you uh, for being here. Thank you for blessing us with your presence and blessing us with your wisdom. And since I've gotten that out of the way, let me just say that maybe there's more for you here. Maybe God is calling you to use that wisdom, right, to talk to some stubborn 30-somethings, to, to challenge us in some ways, to help us avoid some of the, you know, manholes that you fell in. Maybe like God is calling you in this sweet season of your life to reach back and to grab a hold of us and, you know, invite us to the house and make us some of that sweet tea that you make or bake a pie. I particularly like apple pie if you want to have me over. But I just want to say thank you for being here, but maybe there's more for you. I had a sister uh, tell me at small group, she said, hey, Pastor, you know, could you just use some more illustrations that speak to us? Can you? I said, absolutely. Absolutely, because I want you here, but I want you guys fully involved because we need what you have. And maybe God is calling you, sweet seniors, to expand your serve, to reach out to some of us and help us be successful in that next phase of life. And the list can go on and on and on. And even now you're thinking of some ways that God has spoken to you, things that you've pushed to the corners of your mind. But they keep coming back. And they keep coming back. And maybe God is just challenging you as somebody who is challenging to get low, to get beyond your preference-driven sort of norm and reach beyond what's easy, reach beyond what you care to do at this moment and to be obedient. God is challenging us to expand your serve. So I told you get low, to perfect that getting low, perfect the areas where you serve, and to consider expanding your serve. And so you ask the question, how do we do that? Where do I start? Where do I start? So I want to list four areas. And if you've been hanging around here for a while, these areas are nothing new. They'll come up every time we talk about being a servant. The first place is at home. 
I know you started getting grand ideas about going to the nations and washing the feet of strangers on, you know, Laura Wacker Drive. We'll get to that. But your first ministry is in your house. And what a neglected ministry it often is. Let me tell you something. God gets no glory out of my life. I don't care how many speaking engagements. I don't care how large this church swells to. Okay, how many people come to faith because of our preaching and ministry? God gets no glory out of my life if my wife is left in the ditch as I go do the Lord's work. God gets no glory out of my life if my children, you know, are neglected and I, I make time for everybody but them. You know, I'm breaking my back to get low with everybody else, but they, you know. God gets no glory out of that. I tell people all the time, I preach on the side. You know, I pastor on the side. I'm a church planner on the side. I'm a daddy. I'm a, that's, my, that's my full-time gig. I don't pay that much, but. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't pay money. It pays me intangibles, but. But that's my, that's my deal. And if I fail at anything in life, it can't be that. We have to shut the doors and let, hand this thing to somebody else if it's the Lord's will, so be it. But I can't fail this beautiful woman over here. I, I can't fail with her. I can't fail with my boys. The, 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 the most important church that I'll pastor is, is the one at, you know, my house. And so you may call me and I may not answer. And it's not because I'm, you know, playing Tetris or something. People still play Tetris. Uh, <laughs> it's because I'm a daddy and I got kids. And your problem, you know, you've, you had that issue for about 10 years. You, one more day ain't going to kill you. <laughs> right? <laughs> I got kids. I got a wife to tend to. I got a ministry at home. Teach these kids the way of the Lord. Teach them who they are so they don't have to figure that out from somebody else. Bake, you know, this Jesus culture into their hearts so that they might not go astray when they get out of our reach. They've got work to do at home. And some of you, you're killing it in every other realm, but you're failing at home. And to that I say, big deal, who cares? Big deal. Corner office, who cares? If your wife or your husband hasn't heard, you know, a kind word from you in months. If the only time your children hear your voice is when you're correcting them or when you're berating them about something. Who cares what you've accomplished? You think God's pleased? And so you want to get low? Get low with the people you live with. Now realize that everybody in this room isn't like married with kids. Maybe your nest is empty. Maybe you're single and you have a roommate that you live with. Maybe you're a grandparent and you're raising your, your grandchildren or something like that. So I'm talking about the people who share your ad address, people who live with you. It's spiritually criminal not to serve where you live. And some of you really have to do business with God in this particular realm because that's the hidden area of your life, and you're investing all this time and energy and trying to look like a stand-up guy or look like a stand-up gal, and you're failing the place that matters most because it's hidden, and you don't have much accountability there. The Lord says, stop it. Stop it. This is where we start. We start at home. 
Second place, and we always talk about this, is you, you continue at work. Notice I'm talking about the places where you spend most of your time, right? And so I just believe that wherever a Christian works, that company ought to prosper or be doing better or be better off because there's a Christian in the building. Companies should be clamoring, falling all over themselves to hire Christians because they heard that Christians are salt and light, and they season the things so that it tastes better when they're there. They illuminate things, and they're truth-tellers, and they keep their word, and they show up when they're supposed to show up, and they don't take stuff that's not theirs. And they're not on Facebook all day on the company's dime. Everybody just look down, right? Because I'm coming down your aisle today. Give your boss an honest day's work because you represent the Lord. You wonder why nobody ever comes to your church? Because they don't want what you have. Why would they come to a night of worship or a small group and say, if, if what you have, if who you are is what I would get when I go there, I don't want it. I got plenty, thanks. But I told you the other day, we are God's sample spoons that we give to other people. Say, if you t- taste this, there, there's more where that came from. And so when you're a terrible witness at work, come late, leave early. You're the slacker. Nobody wants you on their team because they've heard that you don't meet deadlines and that you cut corners. You're giving them a sample of what they can expect from Jesus Christ, from the kingdom. There's something really broken about that. And some of you, this hits you at a place, deep conviction, because you realize there's a lot of latitude and there's a lot of wiggle room for you to just sort of just barely sort of live the minimum at work. Um... God wants you to get low there, too, because you represent him there. You're his witnesses. Serve at your job. Or maybe you're, maybe you're retired, or maybe you volunteer your time uh, at a community center, or you do some volunteer work. Listen, just because you're not getting paid, you signed up, you made a commitment, you represent Jesus Christ, get low. Serve. Represent the Lord at work. And of course, there's plenty of opportunities to... Uh, represent the Lord in the world around you. Just everyday places. Again, community centers all over. You got neighbors. You see the lady. She's, she's, she's 95 and she's trying to rake the leaves because her sons don't come by. And you just, you, you do your yard and you just go inside. So maybe the Lord is just saying, hey, be a witness for me. Go shovel that walk. Go rake those leaves. Go, play, go take the widow a pie and just sit with her for an hour. There's plenty of opportunities. And just like we said a couple weeks ago, if you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, give me your eyes. Show me the needs. Show me who I can turn the light on for today. Show me who I can just give a sample of you today. You'll have more opportunities than you've got time for. Plenty of opportunities in the world you live in. Lastly, certainly not least, is that you can serve. You can get low. You can participate. You can be active in your local church. And if you just so happen to be, you know, coming here, that's fantastic, right? And so this is really, really important. And I told you a couple weeks ago that some people join a church and they don't make an impact. Spiritually criminal. And what I mean by impact, you want to know if you're making an impact or not, what, what I say do? Just ask yourself, just close your eyes and imagine, what would happen if I left? Now, some of you, if you left, we'd have to scramble to, like, cover the places where you were serving. Oh, we need somebody for the second and fourth 
week in kids' church because this person was faithful. That was their weekend. We got to clamor to get more volunteers. Oh, my goodness. This person was a generous giver. How we, how we backfill that income that we lost? Somebody's made an impact. You come crashing into a place, guess what? You pull that out, there's a hole. Have you made a hole here such that if you pull yourself out, we, we, there'd be a hole, there'd be a void, there'd, there'd be a space. But it's so common in the Christian church for us to just come and just sort of gliding into the church. We just graze and we just nibble over here. Oh, that was a good word. I didn't like that so much. Well, they need to paint those walls because I don't like that. I don't like that soap in the bathroom. And you're just a consumer and you just graze. You graze. And guess what? If you leave, we miss you because we love you, but not because there's a hole. You understand what I'm saying? And so my conviction, my conviction, is when I go someplace, man, I'm going to make a whole, I'm going to make an impact. You're going to know I'm in the building. And you're going to know when I leave. You understand what I'm saying? Not because I'm some hotshot, because I understand that God hasn't called me to go any place and not make an impact, especially the spaces where I spend lots and lots of my time. Do you make an impact in this community? Do you make an impact in the place where you and your family and your children come to be enriched and to be blessed. This community of faith, are you making an impact? There are plenty of opportunities for those of you who are not currently serving, those of you who are not currently making an impact, to join one of our ministries and serve in at least one area of ministry in our church. It's not hard. It might be challenging. It might stretch you a little bit. But guess what? We're perfecting our serve. We're expanding our serve. And one of the best places to do that is, it, is within the context of your local church. Now, if you're visiting today, and this is not your church, you can take this to your church, and the same rules apply. But for those of you who call this place home, some of you will need to expand your serve today. And it just so happens that you're here on the day of our ministry fair. <laughs> right after service. This is a coincidence. I wasn't, we didn't plan this. <laughs> Well, when you have a slide, you planned it, right? And so in the back table, nothing spectacular, just the stations of our different ministries, our First Impressions ministry, our ushers and our greeters, our kids' ministry. Our kids' ministry is our fastest-growing ministry. We have to expand into a new room, and so we need new volunteers. And believe me, if you use the children's ministry, particularly if you are a member here, we want you to just kind of do us a solid and serve every once in a while, you know, since your kids are back there, right? Kids ministry, tech ministry, guys who do the sound and, 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 and uh, projection, worship ministry, there's hospitality, coffee, the atmosphere, all this sort of stuff. And then there's Mark Robeson on the facilities uh, team. These guys clean the building and make sure everything, you know, trash is taken out, floors are swept and mopped, bathrooms are stocked for stuff. Listen, you come here every day and you just assume that, you know, hey, maybe this stuff just magically happens. But somebody comes early and somebody leaves late so that God's house can be open and ready to facilitate worship. And so I urge you not to just be a grazer, not to just be someone who skims over the top, but come crashing into this place, make an impact, make a hole. Okay? So those are the four areas. I'm over my time. Let me, worship team, you can come up. Um, and so listen, this isn't just a good pep talk. Like, I want you to take this with you. I want you to chew on this. I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, how can I get low? 
how can I get lower? How can I perfect the areas that I'm serving, whether it be at home, whether it be at work, whether it be in my community, whether it be in my church? How can I perfect it? And Lord, what areas, what ways are you calling me to expand my serve? What edges of my life are you calling me to surrender so that I might use my life for what you've called me to use it for, so that I might establish a rhythm of service in my life? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Lord, that we get to serve. Thank you, Lord, that we get to participate in your, in your grand store, what you're doing in this community. Thank you, Jesus, that you, that you allow, we get to do this. It's a privilege. It's an honor to get to do this. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful at home. Help us to be faithful at work. Help us to be faithful in our community. So help us to be faithful in your house. Would you, would you do that? Lord, this is new to some people, Lord. You, getting low and thinking of others, being others-minded, that's like new, that's foreign, that, that's working muscles like we haven't used before. And so, Jesus, I just pray that by your Spirit, you would empower us, empower us to do what you called us to do. We're your people, and your people serve. It's who we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.